Vivek, feel free to come and attend church services once in a while. Alrighty, uh, before we start, I'll just ask Betty to pray for the Dayton guys, and then uh, we'll start after that. Go ahead, Betty. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for the people who have come to visit to us today. And I thank you specifically for the Dayton crew. Thank you so much. They're our family. Thank you so much. They're an extension of our family. Thank you so much. They are your family, your people that you brought together from different walks of life, Father. But you brought them up together with one heart, Father. And I just bless them, Father. Bless them um, um, that they may walk in a land of milk and honey, Father. A milk and a land of milk and honey flowing. That they be your gate. Gate crashers, Father, or gate openers, Father, that your milk and honey will flow through these people. Um, that their hearts, because they're aligned with you, aligned with one another, that when they speak, as they walk, as they have their way, Father, you have their way through them. Each and every single one of them, Father, because that is your will. That is your desire for Dayton and beyond Dayton. And, and milk and honey, um, sticky, flowy substance, Father, so it cannot be contained. It will go everywhere. It will go everywhere where they go. And so we just thank you, Father, that these people will be the people of milk and honey that will... Uh, bring your good news, bring your mercy and goodness to every place that will go. they will go because they go with you, Father. And Father, I just want to, uh, I'd like to call up Mike. Can you please come up? And um, Father, I just, I just want to thank you for Mike, Father. Father, I just want to thank you for Mike, because Mike is your strong man, Father. Father, I want to lay hands on him for his healing, Father. Father, you are with him. You're inside of him, Father. And because he's your temple, healing and goodness will flow out of him. And Father, um, Father, he'll be a refreshment in the desert, Father. Others, Father, where there is dryness, when there is deadness, he's freshness. He's not just water, he's snow. He's snow, Father, to be stored up and then to be released, Father. So he's refreshment in the desert, and you will heal him completely from head to toe, inside and outside, Father, so he can be your refreshment in, in dry, arid places. So wherever there's dryness, deadness, uh, discomfort, he's a man that will bring um, your goodness, your, your uh, flow, Father, and, again, your refreshment, um, and life. Father, he will bring life. So we thank you for him, Father. We thank you for how you have uh, moved through him, how you continue to use him for your kingdom. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just got this picture of, uh, like Betty said, you're a strong man. God gave me a picture of a horse. And the first thing you notice about a horse is horses have muscles. And God wants to give you muscles. You see uh, this guy with a Detroit Tigers hat? Pressure on, just put your hand up. So the guy, him and the guys next to him, they work out like crazy, right? They got pretty big muscles. But God wants to give you, um, God wants to give you muscles, but it takes work. It takes a lot of time. So God is calling you out to begin this training process, and he's going to give you um, muscles that you didn't know you had, spiritually muscles that... You thought maybe they were for other people, but no, they're for you. And things that maybe gifts of 
prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of courage. He's going to bring those out of you because you thought maybe they're for others, but no, they're for you. You can step into these things and use them for, for your family, for your friends, for those around you, people you don't know. But it takes training. These guys have been training for a lot of years. So don't, don't think, okay, it's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen soon, but it will take work. So step into this training process, and God will just bless you along the way with your obedience, with your faithfulness. He will bless you. Father, I just pray that you'll help him to teach well, Abba. He loves the word. He likes thinking. Could you take his appetite for the word and his ability to think and now help him to teach well? To break into little edible parts, things that are from your word that can be fed to others. To simplify things, to tell stories. To his, to his ability to think, Father, I ask that you add imagination. Spirit of God, I ask for imagination to run like crazy in his head. He's very factual, Abba. I pray that you add imagination to his love for facts. Let his wife notice it first, that the guy is actually daydreaming. He never does that. So I ask, Father, for imagination to be act, uh, added to his factual ways of approaching life. Let it trigger something in him. We pray this for Mike right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Thank you, guys. Alrighty. Hey, I um, want to talk about this thing called the Elisha Company. And um, um, why talk about this? Uh, I, I actually have two sets of notes. The Elisha Company has 15 points. And uh, uh, my teaching on presence has 13 points. Which would you prefer? <laughs> I was thinking of both. No way. Eh? Only one of them? Oh, let's go with Elisha then. Okay. Yeah, because last night it, um, I thought we'll go with presence, but felt no Elisha company. Why? Because um, um, one, going into Victoria, going into these different nations, it's pretty strange eh, that at one time you go to so many different places, and yet we're not spreading ourselves thin. Wally is happening every week. I mean, I heard that there were tons of stories from Wally uh, yesterday. Derek was... Um, sending me photographs and telling me that there were stories. I don't know why they always leave me out when it comes to muscles. <laughs> really? There's a gym downstairs? Nobody told me. Okay, so, so, but you know, my WhatsApp status says I'm at the gym. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so the reason, the reason it's, uh, uh, we want to talk about Elisha companies. Um, uh, and, and the words are very deliberate. Eh? One, the word Elisha, which then means it is the next generation. A company um, means a troop uh, where it's not just one Elisha. It's a group of Elishas that now have the ability to be farmed out or to be sent out. And they f you find them in multiple places. That's what this looks like. So... Um, want to talk about that. So in a sense, it's a prophetic message from scriptures, and um, 
it's not prophecy, but it's a prophetic message from scriptures so you can extract what you want and apply it to your lives. Um, and it's being released to a people. It's not being released to an individual. It might give us a blueprint of how to approach the next four or five months. Um, and that's why I put that picture up there. Somehow eagles are always associated with either Elijah or Elisha. Uh, but we're talking about a company, not an individual. It's, it's, it's so refreshing, so satisfying when you have a quiver full of arrows and all of them fly straight. It's one thing to have one arrow. You've got to shoot it, then go run, pull it out of the guy you just killed, put it back in your quiver, perhaps uh, wash it and then shoot it again. That's so difficult. It takes time. But when you have a company, then it's amazing. You've got a quiver full of arrows. And that's what we've become. That's what we've become. And the strange thing is at the end of the day, the God of Elijah still gets known. It's amazing. Elisha did twice the works that Elijah did, but it is the God of Elijah that was known through Elisha. God still gets all that he's supposed to get. And so that's why I'm deliberately calling it Elisha Company. And we'll just look at 2 Kings 2 and go from there. Um, and if, besides the message, if there's something else you want to look forward to, there's cake after the AGM meeting. Yeah? Yeah. But I know you guys are so spiritual, you will say, but this is my meat and drink. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. Yeah. The rest of you are on probation. Yeah. And so uh, there is a rising of Elisha's. So it's not one or two, it's many rising. So there's a rising of Elisha's. And uh, if you read Psalm 18, verse 29, it says, Oh God, you help me um, run uh, over troops. You help me scale a wall. And when Elisha's rise, it becomes very difficult for any wall or any troop to stop them. And it's almost like First Chronicles 12, 8 and 9, where it says the Gadites had faces that were fierce like lions. They had the ability to handle sword and spear. And uh, they were a troop. The word Gadite means troop. When Leah gives birth to her son, she names him Gad. And the reason, reason she names him Gad is because she says, now I have a troop. That's the sense of the word Gadites. And in First Chronicles 12, verse 8 and 9, it actually talks about that. It says uh, that the Gadites were a troop that could not be stopped because they had this ability with sword and spear, and their faces were as fierce as lions, and their feet were as sure as gazelles. That's what it says. So that's where we're going. So we'll look at the different signs that Elisha performed and extract principles out of that. So the first one is in first, uh, 2 Kings 2, verse 14. 2 Kings 2.14, and that is when Elijah throws his cloak over Elisha, and Elisha inherits Elijah's mantle. That's the first one. And so, one of the things that you can do, and when I say you, I mean you as a people, I also mean you as individuals. One of the things you can do over the next few months is um, figure out what you want to inherit and what you have inherited. We talked about this last week in response to a question. What is it that uh, is characteristic of this church? There's pioneering, there is the prophetic, It is a body-centered church. 
There is freedom of worship. There is a raising of leaders. It is nation affecting or nation influencing. Those are the characteristics of the church. But now the question is, what do you want to inherit and what have you inherited? What do you want to inherit? As you go forward, Elisha's have to figure out what have I inherited and what do I want to inherit? Both questions have to be asked. Eh? And when you ask a question like that, here's another question you have to ask. Okay, so who am I inheriting from? So the first question is, what have I inherited? Second question is, what do I want to inherit? Third question, who am I inheriting from? You have to have an idea. Inheritances must be longed for. People who don't long after inheritances will squander their inheritance. There should be a desire. And so, who do I inherit from? And so that then leads to two things. One, what is it that I can inherit from the tribe or uh, body or family that I belong to. That's the first one. And two, what can I inherit from Jacob or other leaders in the church? takes guts to ask that question even, eh? Because it seems so self-promoting. Um, These are two questions you have to ask. What can I inherit from the tribe or the body or the family that I belong to? Because there are specific traits that you can inherit from the very spirit that is present in us as a corporate people. And then the second question is, what can I inherit from Jacob's life or the life of a leader in this church that I follow? Both questions need to be answered. Hey, your light is on, eh? Just so you know. I was scared you would burst into that song, this little light of mine. So, no, okay. Um, so these are two questions that need to be, uh, these are questions that need to be asked. Any questions on these questions? And very strongly present. Like, certain things are so strongly present. I mean, I just asked um, Betty and Evan on the spot to come and pray for Mike. It wasn't, it wasn't planned. But there is an ability. In, there is the, the, the spirit of the prophetic is so evident in this church. It's very easy. There's no laboring. You go to Wally, and you'll find certain traits present in the church in Wally that are so strong that you won't find it at Acts 29. Same people, by the way. It's not some new people that are in Wally. It's these um, muscled individuals like Derek and Prashant and Pavan and uh, Mark. And me. <laughs> so it's these guys who are in this church who go to Wally, and yet the traits and the anointing and the way the Spirit works in Wally is so different from Acts 29. 
We don't realize what God is up to. We don't see it. And if you don't see it, you can't know what you want. You got to see it. Someone has to show it. How can, it, how can it even be that the very guys who are in this church, who operate differently here, operate differently in Wally? Because God builds tribes a certain way. What do you desire then from what is present? One should know. And then what do you desire from my life? You should know. Because that's how inheritances are bequeathed. And you can be passive about it and you'll still get a sprinkle of it. You can be active about it and you can get oodles of it. You can get your own well and then somebody else drinks from your well one day. Or you can be passive about it and you'll still get the sprinkle because it's impossible to escape. Any questions? This is important for us to become who we are saying we need to become, which is the Elisha company, which we already are. We're just informing ourselves of who we already are. Hear me clearly. We are informing ourselves of who we already are. This teaching is not going to make you this. This teaching is going to inform you. Go ahead, Diana. Can you give examples of what passive versus passive? Passive is, nah. I don't believe in getting stuff of man. Whatever God wants to give me, God will give me. That's passive. You've got to be like Caleb. Say, I want those hills. You've got to be like Peter. Please, please, let me be the first man who walks on water. That's active. Uh, everyone but Diana. <laughs> Won't repeat the name again. The per person may get offended. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let me, let me uh, put it this way. When I, if, when I wanted things from Mike Scantleberry, when I wanted things from uh, Eddie O'Neill, when I wanted things from people who um, taught me, I would go and harass them, spend time with them, spend money to go be with them, honor them, uh, find time, find ways to get things off them. And it started ages and ages and ages ago. I've said this to you before. I'd, I'd beg the pastor in the church in Bahrain to allow me to come and pick up people from the airport because sitting in the back of the car, listening to them converse, um, had dreams that I, I'm either now living or I'm yet to live. Yeah. Next one. Yeah. The next one is uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, where uh, Elisha's must handle rejection. Elisha, the Elisha company must handle rejection. Must handle rejection. In verse 16, it talks about um, the very men who Elijah had raised, 50 of them, were not willing to acknowledge Elisha as the one who Elijah had appointed. 
They were not willing. They kept, Elisha said, listen, Elijah's gone. I saw him taken up in a whirlwind. But the 50 don't want to give him the privilege of now becoming the next leader. So they're saying stuff like, no, no, let's go search for them. They insist till Elisha is so embarrassed that he says, all right, go search. Because he knows Elijah's gone. But there'll be resistance, see? So the second uh, thing, that the, the next point that we need to be aware of uh, is that a seeming rejection, a seeming rejection or refusal or refusal by people, by people to accept your new position or sometimes your new form Um, internally and externally will happen. Will happen. And you must bear, you must bear people's scrutiny. You must bear people's scrutiny. You must bear people's scrutiny um, till they either reject you or accept. So what happens is when people change, when you change, people find it very hard to interact with you. I was telling someone uh, last night that people converge around what you project. People converge around what you project. Always remember that, eh? People converge around what you project. And so as you begin to change, you begin to project a different person. When you project a different person, people find it very hard to interact. Because they want the old Dilna. They want the old Mark. They want the old David. They don't want this new David. They want the old fun guy. And then when you begin to change, people find it very hard. And so there'll always be this resistance, this rejection. And sometimes it'll be from people who really know you well who don't want to lose out on the old Jillian or the old Don or the old Kazia. They don't want to. And you've got to stand your ground. You have to let them scrutinize your life and decide whether they want to receive or they want to reject. Internal and external change does happen with Elisha's. Some of your closest friends, some of your family members will begin to push you away because they don't like the new you. Any questions? Hey, Mary and her brothers, Mary and her children preferred the old Jesus man. The Jesus of Nazareth was a really nice Jesus. Good carpenter, took care of his family, and then he changed. He changed and began speaking crazy. And when he began speaking crazy, Mary and the siblings turned up at the door and said, we want to take you home. Uh, it was an intervention. That was what was happening there. It's not a new idea. They came to take him home. Because they wanted to lock him up for a while so that he'd come back to his senses. And that's when he states that line, who is my mother and who am I? Brothers, but those that do the will of the Father. One of the ways we can avoid rejection and refusal is to refuse to show how you've changed, either with your words or with your actions. Hide your bush, hide your... Hide it under a bushel now. Hide, hide what? Hide it under the bushel now. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it. You'll be safe. Do not speak. Do not show. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying it's a bad idea. 
I saw a few heads going, hmm, that's a good point. No. <laughs> so, Mm. If, if the internal and external change is real and it is God, then you, um, you will have to take time to sometimes explain it, sometimes just, uh, there are three options. One, you take time to explain it, some will understand. Or you just be quiet, because even if you explain it, no one will understand. Three, you cannot amend it, Four, you should not get proud about it. So uh, there was a certain person who, whose friends advised her not to move to a certain city because they thought it was a really bad idea. The person tried explaining it, some understood. The person tried explaining it, some got even madder. So it doesn't always work. So these are the four ways. Explain it because some will understand. Do not explain it because it's no point. Do not be proud, do not amend. Do not be proud. Do not amend. Yeah, when we change, people get detached and it's okay. Because if your change is genuine and it is Christ-like, they will recognize it. They will recognize it. Later, yeah, they will recognize it. And during the time of detachment, it is difficult. It sucks. But they will recognize it. It happened with my parents. But they recognized it later. And they were only proud of their son. Not, they, they, it, they were not very proud of him for a while. But then they were super proud. Yeah, you always keep the door open. And, and that's the pride part. Pride is when you reject them because they rejected you. Pride is when you reject them because they rejected you. Okay, third one is in um, 219, 2 Kings 219. And it says there, the men of the city said to Elisha, look our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see, but the water is bad and the, bad and the land is unproductive. And then Elisha takes a bowl, a new bowl, takes some salt in it, sprinkles it at the source and the waters get healed and they will never lead to barrenness and death again. One of the things we must realize, guys, this is not what we, uh, God is saying we will become. This is who we are. God is informing us of who we are. Please make that distinction. We are not teaching this so that we become something. We are teaching this so that we are informed of who we are. It's like an instruction manual for a car you already have, not a car you're waiting for. Yeah, so the third thing is, guys, and you should try this, eh? try this in Japan, try this in Israel, try this in New York, try this in Vancouver, try this in Burnaby, try this even in Surrey. There's hope for every city, Derek. Uh, so, you, we have, we have, we have, and when I say we, I'm including everybody in this uh, building, eh? it's not an Acts 29 thing, yeah? We have the permission, we have the permission and the power to end bitter years, to end bitter years of unfruitfulness and sequence of things that are aborted, have been aborted, sequence of things that have been aborted, sequence of things that have been aborted. 
or a cycle of aborted things, a cycle of things that have been aborted. We have the permission and the power. You need to, you, you need to, I'm only informing you of what you already have. I'm informing you of what you already have. That I, I can go, you can go, we can go to places and we have both the permission and the power to end cycles of abortion. I'm not talking about real, um, like pregnancy abortions. I'm thinking, I'm talking about things that keep getting aborted. The thing with abortions is this, that something begins to flower and it almost comes to a place where it's going to bear fruit and then it collapses. It's with life. We have the permission and the power to end the things that are being aborted. And we have the permission and the power to end bitter years of unfruitfulness. Guys, if, if, you, if you and I understand that this is who we already are, not what we are going to become, then you begin to walk in it. We're just being informed of who we are so that we can do something with who we are. As in go and find a situation that's unfruitful in Wally or in Burnaby or in uh, Tokyo and say, well then, I know that I have the permission and the power to end this. And it's not with magical words, it's with a simple prayer because permission and power does not require a whole set of words, man. When you have permission, what words do you need? You don't even need words, you have the key. Open sesame is enough. Own this. You own it by going over it again and again and again. Own this for your own life. There are things in your life that are unfruitful. There are things in your life that are being aborted again and again and again. Own this for your own life too. Oh God, in this area, I'm not producing. Every time I sow seeds, they're taken away. Hopelessness has begun to take over where you don't even think anything is going to change. You don't even want to talk about it because talking about it is like revisiting old wounds. Try this out in your own life and it's easier to try it out in someone else's life. Any questions? Okay, fourth one. It's from 2 Kings 2, verse 23 and 24. This one um, may not apply to all of us at this particular time because we may need to learn how to do this. But in 23 and 24 it says, But from there Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go upon you bald head. They said, go upon you bald head. He turned around, looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. And he went to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Um, so what's the principle we draw from here? Decree divine judgments against powers that try to dismantle or destroy the church or try to prevail against the church being conscious that our battle is not against flesh and blood, that's not food and beverage, it's flesh and blood, but against powers. Yeah? 
for some of us, the battle is against food and beverage too. But, <laughs> I mean, flesh and blood here. <laughs> yeah. Decree divine judgments. Decree divine judgments. This is something that has to be learned, eh? Because how can I learn how to decree divine judgments? The, those three words are important. If, if we are not prone to speaking, we are not prone to decreeing. You cannot turn the switch on overnight. One should learn how to do it. Two, it must be divine, meaning it should be God-inspired. Three, it is a judgment. Your judgment has to be accurate. And if, we, if you haven't practiced it, you cannot do it tomorrow. That's why I said it doesn't apply to all. Some of the things that we've been learning over the years is so that we can all come to a place where we function together at the same level of maturity. But that is a pipe dream because we don't all grow together. Some of us grow fast, some of us grow slow, some of us don't grow. But we still get to participate in what God has made us as a people. Sorry, say that again. Yeah. Yeah. Very easy. WhatsApp, text, uh, call, saying, this is what I sense. What do you think? Call anybody that you think is in a place where they operate in this. Whoever you think operates in this, call them, ask. Verify. I still do it. I'll call someone and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Because these three words are critically, do I know how to decree? Have I practiced decreeing? We started talking about decree in 1990, no, 2003 we started talking about it. If we haven't practiced it, then it's on you. Divine, it has to be God-inspired. Judgment, it has to be accurate. Because if you call down fire, make sure you're wearing an asbestos suit. Because otherwise... You can lose some hair. And then it's against powers that dismantle or destroy the church. Examples. Um, some of it is super real, man. Uh, maybe I shared this with you. Uh, I remember some guys going to a particular uh, city in uh, India uh, where uh, a man who... It's probably the fourth or fifth richest man in the world lives, uh, who was funding tons and tons of activities against uh, churches. And uh, these people went there just for nine hours, and they sat in a hotel room with some locals and began to decree that this must end, that this funding of the dismantling and destroying of uh, believers and churches must end. Um, four hours after these guys gathered and prayed, that man lost $51 billion and uh, was completely undone in terms of both his financial standing and his power and clout. Not just in that nation, but around the world. That is sometimes how effective this can be. I know those guys who went and did that. That's how powerful this can be at times. That man cannot rise again. He cannot rise in that nation. He cannot rise in the world. So, I'm just giving you one recent example that I know of. 
Any questions? Uh, if our battle becomes against flesh and blood, then we step into a spirit that is not Jesus. Because at some point, James and John say, can I call down fire on these guys? And Jesus says, you are not of my spirit. James and John actually knew that they could call down fire. And they knew because they had already read the Old Testament and they knew Elijah did it. They knew that this was real. It wasn't something they were imagining. It was real. And Jesus says, you're not of my spirit. Yeah, you, um, at least the way that I think is a sincere way to pray is, Father, I release this man into the hands of the Holy Spirit, for I know you're a compassionate, merciful God who is able to rescue him from his ways of error. I seek his salvation, that if it be today or the day before he dies or a second before he dies, that he sees you face to face and receives you as Lord. For there is nothing as terrible as a man being cut off from his creator. So Father, stop this man. Even let what happened to Nebuchadnezzar happen, but let him come back to his senses and let him receive you as Christ and Lord. Yeah. Sorry? Oh yeah, they were praying for his salvation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, th there is a tendency in us to exact a pound of flesh for all the evil done. I have to first get my heart right. And that's why it's good when you pray with a group of people because your heart may not be right. And then suddenly someone else begins to pray with such compassion that you feel ashamed. It's happened to me. <laughs> when I wanted fire and brimstone, I didn't say it, but inside me I really wanted it. And then while I'm desiring it, the other person is praying, Father, mercy, Lord, showers of mercy. And I'm thinking to myself, this is for me. Next one, um, chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city, every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. So this is when... Um, guys, one of the things we should be able to do is um, cause, um, when, when, um, when, what's her name? What's your name? Betty. When Betty was praying for uh, Mike, I was thinking of this. Uh, where streams are refreshing. It cause, we must be able to cause streams to flow in desert or parched places, arid places. This is not who we need to become. This is who we are. Isaiah 32.2. Just read Isaiah 32.2. It's such a cool scripture. Isaiah 32.2. Look at what causes it to happen. Isaiah 32.2. Um, we think streams in the desert are things that God just makes happen. But look who makes it happen. Start with verse 1. Isaiah 32 verse 1. See. A king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each man will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert 
and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. God is literally saying, listen, this is what I've made you. You go into Victoria, you stand and you will be able to be a shelter in the storm. You stand and you will bring into families, into lives, in Tokyo, in Victoria, an ability for streams from me to flow. I will cause you to refresh. This is not who we need to become, this is who we are. Draw from what is common in this house and use it in your situation, in your workplace, in your mission, in your home. Draw from it. It's like belonging to a company that has certain benefits. Let's say you work for an airline. Now you have some benefits that come with the airline. Draw from it. Let's say you belong to Google or Microsoft. There are certain benefits that come from it. You get free computers maybe, or maybe not. Draw from it. We are talking about things that we can draw from. Isaiah 32 2 tells you why there will be streams in the desert. It's not because God suddenly carves out a stream. It is because that is the kind of shepherds we are. We must own this, guys. Go over it again and again so that you identify with your nature. We are just being informed of our nature in God. Wally, know this. Know that you can end unfruitful years. Know that you can cause suddenly streams to flow in desert places. You look at things in Wally and you think, how can this change? That's exactly why God comes in. We are so far removed from when we got saved that we don't realize how parched, arid, dry, deserted, addicted, perverse we were. And then God happened. Next one. Chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Kings 2, 4, 1. 2 Kings 2, 4, 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditors have come to take my two boys as a slave. Um, one of the things we are called to do is to provide for ones who serve, who have served faithfully, who have served faithfully, but for various reasons, fallen upon hard times. And the various reasons could be sickness, could be sin, could be bad decisions, could be betrayal, could be reasons we don't know, could be um, them leaving and uh, not being able to make it. Whatever it be. This is a strange one, eh, when I saw it, that this Elisha company, this group that is here under this roof, must be able to provide for those that have served faithfully. Even as I speak, if they come to mind, send them some money. Even as I speak, if they come to mind, if you remember Melchizedek's in your life, who come and broke bread and water into your life, bread and wine into your life ages ago, that are struggling, that have had a hard time, send them something. Respond to some of these things immediately. 
These are men who serve faithfully, but for whatever reason are not able to do well right now. Well then, let your plenty supply their lack. Yeah? Any questions, guys, before we go on? Some, some may be left. They left before their time, before things could work out for them, they left. Maybe, maybe they were part of this church and they left. If you remember them, and you remember their faithful service, bless them. <laughs> I remember there was a person who left this church, and uh, we felt that the person was going through a really hard time. So we sent Derek with a certain amount of money to uh, just drop off. And he went in the middle of the night, dressed in black with a mask on. And he left some money there. So, if you want to do that, the mask and the outfit is still available. In, in this case, it was anonymous. But remember those that have served us faithfully and bless them. It's who we are. It's who we are. Next one. Um, chapter 4, verse 17. This is again one of those things where if you haven't learned how to do this, it will not happen right now, but you can start working on it. Chapter 4, verse 17. Um, then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant or man of God. But the woman became pregnant in the next year, about the same time she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Um, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. And so... One of the things that I so look forward to this church doing is, will you contend, will you contend for what you know God has ordained or birthed? Will you contend for what you know God has ordained a birth? So that the son so that the son who is born so that the son who is born will not meet an untimely death. This is critically. There's so many things that God births and ordains. And guys, the strange thing is when God births something, he does it with words. How does God birth anything? He announces it. Why does he announce it? Because it's his intent to make his people know that I'm going to do something. That's what the prophets were doing. That's what he says in Amos. That listen, before I do anything, I tell my prophets about it. And in those days, he had to pick a few prophets. Today, a church can be prophetic. He announces it. That's how he births everything. He announces it. And when things are announced and things have to be sustained, you have to then begin to contend for it. Think of some of the things that God has announced he will do. 
either through this church or he's announced it in this church. Think of some of those things. I don't want to repeat them before you. But do you contend for it? Do you contend for it? Because, guys, one of the things that can happen in churches like this is because there are things that God keeps saying or doing, we can get neutral about it. I'll tell you what neutrality sounds like. Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he says, if God is God, follow him, or follow Baal. And the strange thing is, the next verse says, and Israel remained silent. Israel remained silent. There's a challenge being thrown out by Elijah. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is Baal, if Baal is God, go ahead, follow him. And instead of saying God is God, instead of opening our mouths and speaking, sometimes when things are being birthed and you do not speak, it's a, it's, you're not disagreeing with people in the church, you're disagreeing with God. But in my heart, I'm agreeing. Thank God you had to both speak and believe in your heart before you got born again. So, will you contend for what you know God has ordained a birth so that the son who is born will not meet an untimely end? Some things are sustained by us agreeing with God, saying, oh God, this is what you said and I agree with you. I'll open my mouth and I'll speak. I'll open my mouth and I'll speak. Sometimes it requires stretching over that which is dying to revive it. That's the kind of contention we are talking about. It has to be life upon life. You pouring out your life so that what God has spoken will live. But Jacob, why does God need that? Can't, can't he do it himself? He can do it himself, but he's the head of the body and he uses the body to stretch over that which is dying. It is his life that gives life, but it happens through you. Hey, I want to say something else that uh, is going to bother some of us. Eh? If what I'm teaching right now is something that you're not connecting to, it is because, uh, it is because, this is such a harsh statement to make, but I just feel that I have to make this so that you're aware of your condition. If what I'm saying is not connecting with you, it is because your spirit is dull to the life-giving things of God. And the reason I'm saying it is so that you will wake up to the fact that you need to enliven yourself. Not because of the teaching, not because of the preacher, but because of the content. Just so you know. No, 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 no. Uh, I really don't want us to rara. But I want us to be able to speak when required. Eh? Sometimes when I ask you to stretch out your hand and I see you sitting like this and not stretching out your hand, I think to myself, why? Is it pride? Is it rebellion? Is it disobedience? Is it disagreement? What is it? Don't understand it. When I'm in a church, it doesn't matter how tired I am and the pastor asks me to do something, I'll do it. Why? Because I want to stand with the people of God even though my hands are tired. Why do we not do it? You think you will not be held accountable for it? You will be held accountable for it. I hate Rara. Hate it. Because it's so artificial. J-E-S-U-S, Jesus! Let's say an amen now. Let me hear an amen. No! But should an amen come from within you? Say it. 
Thank God our worship leaders don't do this too. Okay, next one. Sometimes, guys, Elisha's staff won't do, Gehazi won't do. Sometimes you have to go and pour out your life. Remember that, eh? You can't send someone else sometimes. You have to go. As Elisha, sometimes you have to go. As Elisha, sometimes you have to go. I mean, for these guys going to Japan, embrace what is being taught. This is what you can do in Tokyo. For guys going to Israel, embrace this. We don't go to the Holy Land for Holy Land tours. The Jew needs to be saved even if he's special, just like the Afghani and the Pakistani needs to be saved, and the Indian needs to be saved, and the Bangladeshi needs to be saved. We got this absurd thought that chosen people, Abraham's physical uh, um, um, uh, descendants, so it, there'll be some magical way in which they'll be saved. Nope, it's only through Jesus Christ. We've got to stop making this myth. Christians exploit Israel for their own benefit. It's wrong. That's just a side hobby horse to flog. No, no, no. Christians should go on tours. I'm sure when you go on a tour and you walk the paths that Jesus walked, it'll break your heart. I'm not saying no to that, but we need to look at Israel as a nation that needs saving. And we don't. Sometimes Elisha's staff and Gehazi being sent will not do. You have to go pour out your life. Sometimes, guys, when it looks like, why go all the way? Why spend so much money? Why do this? It is because you alone can set that place free. You were called for that. You alone. Nobody else can. I can't. You can. And when you know that in your heart, spare no expense. Spare no expense. Yeah. Elisha tries. He says, hey Gehazi, take my staff and lay it on the boy's uh, body. Nothing. Squat. Sometimes you need to go. Next one. Chapter 4, verse 39 to 41. Chapter 4, verse 39 to 41. Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the region. While the company of prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these men. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild wine. He gathered some of its goods and filled the fold of his cloak. And when he returned, he cut them up, put um, it in the pot of stew. I mean, this was a whole vegetarian thing. That's what went wrong there. Though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried, O man of God, there is death in the pot. They could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So, one of the things, uh, there's another very cool one that you've got to believe, man, because if you believe this and walk in it because God is saying this is who you are, then people will benefit. What is it we are talking about? We will see the preserving power of God 
working through us. Working through us. The preserving power of God working through us. Guys, um, uh, there's a scripture which says, Rejoice for the steps of the righteous man are uh, ordained by God. In the time of trouble, he will preserve you, uphold you, keep you. We are appointed to be keepers. We, we, people that we keep will be preserved, will be upheld, will be protected. Own that, eh? You, you are people that can keep. This is something God is giving you, saying, if you keep somebody, I'll make sure they're protected. There's something in the Bible called protective hospitality. Protective hospitality is when people come into your care and you make sure that on my watch, nothing will happen. That I would lay down my life, the life of my family before they are touched. That is keeping power. That is preserving power. That is the power that whenever God gives something in your charge, you will make sure that that person is protected. Protective hospitality is what makes the father throw the son out so that he can be uh, uh, destroyed, but you can be preserved. Preserving power is sacrificial. It is a power that God gives because the people have realized that we are keepers. As in, we have the ability, we have the desire, we have the compassion, and we have the faith to keep those that are given to us. The demonized can come, the depraved can come, the addicted can come, but as they bask under your shelter, you prepare a table for them in the presence of their enemies, and they begin to recover. Some of you have seen that. Some of you have seen the people that have come under your charge and how day after day, month after month, week after week, you see them being set free. It is the power of God that sets them free. But it comes through you. That's what keeping power does. That's what preserving power does. We have seen it in this church. And we'll see it again and again and again. Because this is our nature given by God. We are just being informed of who we are. The world needs this, guys. Do you know what happens when the demon is set free when you don't even pray? Because they come under what is called your covering. Yeah. It's a magnificent thing that God is informing us about. When you keep somebody, something begins to happen. Next one. 4.42. What time is it? Oh. Say that with a little more enthusiasm. One. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley, baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat. Crazy. This guy was for tithing or giving his first fruits. He was giving his first fruits, and instead of taking the first fruits and keeping the first fruits, Elisha distributes it. I find that so amazing. Someone told me about that five or six years ago. Before that, when I would receive first fruits, I'd keep the first fruits. People would honor me with their first fruits, saying, Here is my first fruits at the beginning of the year. And they would send, Jacob, thank you for what you've done in my life. Here's the first fruits. And I would keep it. And it would help me do whatever I want to do travel, do this, do that, spend it on my own. I'd keep the first fruits. And then someone told me this Hey, have you read 2 Kings 2? Uh, 442, and it says, so he brings his first fruits to Elisha, and Elisha, instead of keeping it, says, distribute it. And once I began distributing it, I found that 
it increases or it doesn't decrease. That's not the reason. The reason was, what a cool thing to do with first fruits. It multiplies. So the principle here is very simple. Release first fruits. Release first fruits. And then if you receive it, use it to feed others. And you will see this word in bold letters. When money, when money multiplies, a few things happen. One, you can provide for others. You can end poverty in your community or your company. And you can have your needs, wants, whims, fancies, and burgers taken care of. Yeah. Next one. Let's skip a few because it's 103 and we got the AGM through too. Um, let's go to sixth one. The company of the prophet said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. So you know the story. The company of prophets comes and says to Elijah, hey, can we go build, uh, says to Elijah, can we go build um, a school for prophets? And Elisha says, yes. They took permission, they go build a school. While they're building the school, after having taken permission from the man of God, which was the same as taking the permission of God, they begin to build a school and they borrowed an axe because Israel had no metal implements. They borrowed an axe, they're chopping, the axe it flies off, falls into the river, drowns. And they come and say, alas, alas, master, the axe it was borrowed, meaning it would be super expensive. And Elisha says, take this staff, throw it where the axe it, uh, fell, it comes floating up. Guys, um, this church, and if you don't know it yet, uh, you must have been living under a <laughs> Bushel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, one of the things that we are so meant to do is to restore people's destinies back to them. This church excels at it. Wherever you go, know that you can take anybody anywhere in the world and the anointing of God will be present upon you to help them get back into the trajectory appointed to them. Sometimes it's a trajectory that they lost. Sometimes it's a trajectory they haven't found. We are meant to do this. We are meant to do this. Every time someone comes to this church or comes into your presence, know that you have the ability in some small way to put them back on the path that they either lost or haven't found. We restore people's destiny. We restore desolate heritages. We give back to people what they lost. We do this well. It is a trait in this house. It is yours. It is from God. It has very little to do with you. But one of the things we excel at, wherever the axe is drowned, go back there, throw the wood shaft in, and it'll come floating up. Pick it up. Tell them to pick it up. You don't pick it up for them. You tell them to pick it up. 
You can only tell people what God is saying. From there on, it's up to them whether they run in it or not. Elisha doesn't go and pick it up. Elisha says, there it is, go pick it up. Then it's up to the person if they want to pick it up. But if they pick it up, they can start rebuilding or building what God has ordained them to do. This is a trait in this house. Embrace it. Example, I met with the guys from Dayton last night and can put people back on their trajectory. It's the easiest thing to do. It flows like water. Doesn't matter. You can go up to anybody on the street today and you have the ability to begin to speak into their lives and restore them. Restoring desolate heritages is so a part of our DNA that is inescapable. Evidence of what? Yeah, but you announce it, they have to pick up the axe. We don't pick up the axe for them. We cause it to float to the surface. That's up to the person, right? Even Jesus wouldn't force someone to do what he told them to do. Even Jesus wouldn't. I mean, if I could force you guys to do what I wanted to do, (laughs) if I could force just one person sitting at that corner to do what I wanted to do, Okay, one more, two more, okay, two more. Hey, Uh, chapter 8, verse 7 to 15, chapter 8, verse 7 to 15. Elisha begins to anoint Hazael the king. And um, as he begins to anoint him as king, he begins to prophesy and predict the future. He begins to um, finish what Elijah had left unfinished. He begins to, on one hand, complete Elijah's task because Elijah kind of resigned and got raptured. And now he's completing Elijah's task and he's also predicting the future of what will happen to Israel, the things that are going to happen. Uh, Some of us, and it's open for the entire church, but some of us will finish what Jacob can never finish in this lifetime. Some of us will finish what Eddie could never finish in this lifetime. Some of us will finish what the people that went before us cannot, will not be able to finish. Some of us will do this. I want to have a, I want to, I want to give you a direct word. Please come and, yeah, you Prashant, please embrace this. Um, please come and join this company. Please, give it another shot. You're one of the most capable individuals I've met. Please come and give it a shot. I plead with you. It's not that you're not doing everything you're supposed to do. You're one of the most exceptional uh, workers that I have seen. But I think you know what I'm saying when I say, please come, because you will finish some of the things that I cannot, that others cannot. Take this upon yourself, because you don't have a mantle yet, and that mantle must fall on you, because you have the ability to finish it. 
I can plead on my knees if I need to. That is, no, I know, I know I sh um, you wouldn't want that, but that is how desperate I am about this because I know that you can finish some of the things nobody else in this church can finish. I'm not embarrassing you, I'm just exalting you, if anything. It puts you in a difficult situation though, and I appreciate that, but um, yeah. Last one. Chapter 6, verse 12. The enraged king of Aram, he's, this enraged the king of Aram, verse 11, he summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king in Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. I don't know if you believe this, see? I'm absolutely convinced of it. I've seen it at work. Unfortunately, I cannot share more stories on air or when it's being recorded. But do you believe, I really ask this of you, and only you can answer it, do you believe that the destiny of nations will be shaped on the anvil called Acts 29. And by Acts 29, I mean anybody attached to it. Do you believe that? Because a few of us will learn to commandeer the chariots of Israel and its horsemen to fight princes of Persia and Greece and see spiritual realities come to pass on earth. It's a question, eh? I'll end with that question. Do you believe that the destiny of nations can be shaped on this anvil called Acts 29? I don't know if you believe that, but it's a question worth asking. Some of us will learn to command your chariots of Israel and horsemen like Elisha did. You know what happens when you command the chariots of Israel and horsemen? You become to the enemy. Um, a threat that dismantles its plans and you become, become to Israel protection. You become to Israel protection, you become to the enemy a threat. That's what Elisha did. He was surrounded by people and he says to his, his servant says, alas, look, we are surrounded. What are we going to do now? And Elisha says, oh God, will you open the eyes of this man? And he opens his eyes and he sees the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. What does that do? On one hand, for Israel, it becomes protection. It doesn't matter how many thousands there are. There are more amongst us than there are with them. And two, it becomes the enemy, its defeat. Two things happen. Some of us will command you the chariots of Israel and horsemen to fight the princes of Persia and Greece, which is from the book of Daniel, and to see spiritual realities come to pass here on earth. The question, though, is, do I really believe that the destiny of nations would be shaped on an anvil, collapse 29? 
When I say destiny of nations, the shape of those nations, how they'll be affected. Powers, spiritual and governmental. Do you really believe that? Because it happened in the book of Acts. And that is something you have to ask. And to the extent that you believe it, begin to step into it a little by maybe beginning to start by praying for a nation. Then perhaps investing in that nation. Then perhaps going to that nation. Then perhaps saying, can we do this and this in this nation? Then perhaps saying, but these are the powers that are involved in the nation. Then asking, how do we deal with these powers? Then saying, can you forge a team that can go and deal with these powers? Then saying, what do we do with regard to spreading the gospel in these nations? Then saying, okay, these are the people we need to connect to. Can you give us, oh God, inroads into corridors of power? Can you give us, oh God, inroads into the poor? It all started in an upper room in Jerusalem. Think of that for a second. It all started in an upper room in Jerusalem. It is the sheer power of the Spirit of God with a people who were willing to obey and did not love, love their lives unto death. They overcame the devil by the word of the testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, and they did not love their lives even unto death. What does it mean not to love your lives even unto death? That you don't think much of the things of life to begin with. And death later. But things of life first. Any questions? There are two more, but they're okay. Any questions, guys? We are inform God is informing of us, us of who we are. He's not asking us to become anything. He's just informing us. So we don't even need to pray. We don't need to pray saying, oh God, make us this. But some of these points apply directly to you. If they apply directly to you, change your thinking. Go over this again and again and again and again. Yeah? So let's not pray. Let's go to the AGM. Yeah? What do you do with an instruction manual? You read it and you put things together. Yeah? Cool. What happens next? Oh, we pause for a couple of minutes and then everybody is welcome to stay. Um, but uh, if you haven't signed your life away and given us the pin code to your bank uh, account, uh, you cannot vote. Yeah.